anything That's fine. Okay, okay. so tonight's or tonight's topic is uh, what happens after you die. And I want to start off and just uh, make a quick note that what I'm going to say is not something that I know from experience, right? I don't. I'm never. I don't think I don't remember dying. Uh, and no one really has, and even including near-death experiences, that's not really a near-death, that's not really a death experience. So the sources that we're going to use are Torah sources, and, um, and these are the Torah sources and the traditions that have been part of the Jewish uh, philosophy, the Jewish worldview, the Jewish Weltanschauung for millennia. What was that? Weltanschauung, it means uh, worldview. Okay, so why is it important to know what happens after you die? And that's a, a very, very important first step. It's, you know, we're here, and our, our primary responsibility is what we need to do when we're alive. Why is it so important? Why is it important, or why is it important at all, to know what's going to be when you die? So I, I have a few, I want to start off by saying there's a few, I think that, you know, the, 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 the inescapable things in life in the words of uh, Benjamin Franklin, nothing in life is sure besides your death and taxes. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going to die. And a lot of people, and it's, it's a great unknown. People don't know what happens. People are fearful. And the Torah tells us specifically a lot about what happens when you die uh, because it's important for us to know it. Um, so we're all going to die, and therefore I think it's good for us to know a little bit what, what, about what that means. But I think more um, specifically, and I'll explain what I mean, the question about what happens after you die, after death, determines what has meaning and what has value in life. Say that again. I, I'm going to prove this point. But I think that what happens to us after we die, um, if there's life after death, then life itself has meaning. Now, if there's no life after death, there, there could be no meaning to life. life can't, our actions cannot have real repercussions. This is, very, this is, this is an important point. If, if, the, if the world is fair, and we do believe that there's, you know, that, 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 that there's reward and punishment, and, and, this, and people will be, uh, will be judged for their actions. And therefore, there has to be there has to be life after death. It cannot be that, 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 that Hitler and Mother Teresa are both the same. It's not possible, right? If life is to have meaning, there has to be life, or there has to be existence after we die. And I'm, I'm going to try to explain this point a little bit more deeply. Um, so it's not just about curiosity, what happens after we die, but also it has a very practical um, uh, implication on, on the way we should live our lives. Okay, so when we start talking about the question uh, that, uh, you know, that come first, first one comes to mind, when you start talking about what happens after you die, there's two questions. First of all, what happens before you die? And also, what is death? Right? The, the, the title of the class, What Happens After You Die, presumes that you know what happens before you die. And you, it presumes also that knows what happens when you die. And the whole question is, okay, what happens afterwards? I want to, I want, I want to backtrack a little bit. I think it's important to understand what happens after you die, especially from a Jewish perspective, to understand what happens beforehand and what changes, and what changes when a person dies. And then subsequently, we'll see what happens afterwards. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so in Judaism, we say that man is composed of a body and a soul. In Hebrew, it's a goof and a neshama. What we say is that, you know, me, you, everyone that you know has a body, but also has a soul. When I say soul, I mean it's a spiritual element, it's a spiritual entity that, that encompasses the body and gives the body life, and gives the body consciousness, and gives the body the ability to live, to exist, to make choices. Now, a human, by the Jewish definition, has to be not the body, alone, not the soul alone. Rather, the fusion, the mixture of these two things, of soul and body, that is a human. So, 
And that's a human when they're alive. By death, the definition of death in, in, in Jewish philosophy is separation of soul, of soul and body. And it's, it's interesting that you say that, Dave. We don't, we don't view, we don't view, this is actually the Gemara, the Gemara says in Nida, we don't view death as the body dying and therefore the soul leaving. Rather, it's actually the opposite. The soul leaves and therefore, as a result of no soul, it has no spiritual firepower, no spiritual fuel that gives it life and it dies and, and dies as a result, as a byproduct of the soul leaving. It's not like, oh, the body has some sort of entity that gives its life. And you take that away, and, and therefore the soul says, I have nothing to do here. It's not like that. Rather, the, the, the soul is what gives the life to the body. It gives the ability to see, and the ability to have consciousness, and to make decisions, and, 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 and to function. The second, the soul leaves, as a byproduct of that, in the Hebrew words we say, mimela, the body ceases to exist, and, and, and it starts decomposing, and, you know, you know, and, and it's, it's, it disintegrates. Okay, so that's very important. So we... We're composed of a soul and a body, right? What am I? Am I a body? Well, I have a body, but I'm not a body. A- am I a soul? I have a soul. I'm not a soul. I am the fusion of the two. And this is a very important or unique phenomena because there is no other creature that has this mix. Uh, what I mean by this is the Talmud tells us uh, that the soul is so pure how pure is it that it's compared to God himself and compared to the angels? On that level of spiritual purity is the soul. While the body, what is the body, right? It's, you know, dust and ashes, right? You take a body and you put it in the ground, it decomposes, it becomes dust. That's what it is, right? The lowest thing and the highest thing get mixed together. And that's a totally unique phenomenon. So much so that the Midrash in, the, in, 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 in Parshish uh, Pekudim, Midrash Tanchuma says that the soul and the body are at tremendous odds with each other. The soul is pure spirituality. The, the body is physicality. It's materialism. right? It's the lowest thing. The soul yearns to escape the body. The soul cannot stand being harbored in a, uh, a, 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 a low base materialistic body. But God says, you have to stay. You have to stay. And forces the soul to, to remain within the body. But, despite the fact that the soul is so lofty, we view us, a human, can only be the fusion of the two. Okay, now, that's when you're alive. When you're dead, what happens? The soul comes out. And therefore, the body ceases to exist, and the body is interred in the ground. Now, very important that in Judaism, it's, it, it's a tremendous transgression to, uh, not to get cremated. Cremation is, is, one of, is, is, is a terrible thing, and, and I'll get to it a little bit later, because when someone is cremated, it's not so clear that they will be able to be resurrected. It's not so clear. That's why in Judaism, like if, if you know someone who's Jewish and wants to be cremated, try to convince an out of it. It's very, very bad from a Jewish perspective. So when the body uh, and soul get separated, the body is put in the ground, the body disintegrates, what happens to the soul? But, take, but let's, let's, let's go back a, a, a second. This, this element, or this separation of soul and body, how does that work? So we have the Talmud in, in, in Brachas 8a. It says a very interesting statement, and I'll repeat it verbatim. It was taught that there's 903 kinds of deaths. Don't think that all deaths are the same. There's 903 different kinds of deaths. Okay, fine. Um, the best death, the best possible way to die is called Nishika, which Nishika means to kiss. And the worst possible way to die is called Askara. Askara, some sort of malady or disease called Askara. Okay, what does that mean? Askara is comparable. Askara is compared to thorns that are stuck in wool. Thorns that are stuck in wool. And you have to separate the thorns from the wool. While in the Shita, 
the best of them is 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 separate. It was pulling out a hair out of a glass of milk. Very interesting. There's 903 kinds of deaths. The best one is called the Sheikah, pulling a hair out of a cup of milk. And the worst one is Aspera, which is trying to separate thorns that got stuck in wool. Now, what's the lesson over here? The body and soul have to be separate. How much or to what degree are the body and soul connected? Better yet, to what degree do the body and soul influence each other? Our job, our responsibility, according to Jewish uh, philosophy, is to make sure that our soul, the pure soul, influences the body. And not the other way. The body shouldn't influence the soul. What happens if the body influences the soul? They get intermeshed. And you, what do you have? To separate them is very hard. Right? It's very hard. And you'll have, you'll have to pull the thorns out of the ball of wool. And you have little pieces of wool on the thorns, little pieces of thorn. A very, very painful, difficult process. As opposed to the best way to die is where your soul and your body are existing in perfect harmony. The soul is influencing the body. The body is not influencing the soul. Therefore, it's very easy to remove the soul from the body. The soul hasn't gotten fashmutzed with the body's mishigasa. So, so that's the lesson. So we, so we know what, what it is to be alive, body and soul. We know what the, our responsibility is. Make sure the soul influences the body. Make sure that the priorities of the soul are accepted by the body. Don't do the other way around. The second you do it the other way around, the body encroaches on the soul, and the separation of the two is very painful and difficult. Who judges that? Huh? Who judges that? Who, ju- who judges everything? So the Almighty... Is- but it's, it's a reality. It's more, than, it's more than judging. It's a reality. We, the soul is an absolute reality, as I much as our body. I understand that, but who judges how how bad a death is going to be? It's 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 not it's not. A, but I think of it as a as a reality. How much has the soul been influenced by the body, and how much has the body been influenced by the soul? The more influenced by the body, the, the painful the, more, the painful the death will be more painful. The more the body encroached on the soul, right? The more the soul will be. Uh, will be uh, involved in bodily activities, the harder it will be to remove the soul from the body and, and therefore the, higher, the more the more, uh, the hard, more difficult of a death it is. But I, I, don't, I don't view it as, as a judgment per se, rather as a reality, as a reality. Now I want to say, I want to say an interesting thing. So we said that the body and soul, are fused together. The soul doesn't want to be there. God forces the soul to stay there. Our job is to make sure that the soul influences the body, not the body influences the soul. Our job is to elevate the body, to make the body, to take the the mundane, the physical, and make it spiritual. That's why all our mitzvot are always involving our body. What, What are we trying to do with that? We're trying to have our body act on the desires of the soul, on spirituality. At our, our physical body will be elevated by the acts of spirituality that the body does. Our neshama, our soul, is influencing our guf, our body. Who was the greatest man that ever lived? Moses. Moses. There's a fascinating medrash that talks about Moses dying. Moses also had a body and a soul. Right? And at the beginning of Moses' life, his soul was totally pure. His body was like any other one, anyone else's body. But Moses spent his whole life having his soul influence his body. And there's a fascinating exchange uh, in the Midrash, all the way at the end of Devarim, of Deuteronomy, where God is trying to take the soul away. And the soul says, uh-uh, I'm staying here. Uh-uh, I'm not leaving. It means the soul was totally spiritual. Totally spiritual. And the soul cannot stand physicality. But Moses was able to influence his body and to elevate the physicality to make it spiritual. 
the soul was totally at home when, uh, while, while, uh, while filling Moses' body. So much so, he didn't want to go, didn't leave. And God had to force him, had to force him out, had to force, force the soul out. Very interesting. So this gives us a little bit of a perspective, not only about death, but also about life. The, the, the act of death is a direct result of what kind of life we've been living. Okay. So what do we have? We have life as, as or, or us as a human, as humans, being a fusion, a mixture of body and soul. We have death as a separation. And we have a little bit of perspective of what our responsibility in life is to make sure that the neshama, that the soul, influences our body. What happens after you die? So the discussion of what happens after you die can only be dealing with the soul. Right? The body, what happens to the body? What happens to the body? It's put into the ground. It's, it's totally, it's disintegrated. Right? It's eaten by worms. That's what happens. So the only discussion of what happens afterwards is pertaining to the soul. And why? And, and we say that the soul, the consciousness, lives on. After you die, you don't lose consciousness. Right? You just don't have the physical tools to express it to humans. But you're as conscious as you were beforehand. Absolutely. That, that has never changed. That has never changed. Uh but the entire discussion can only begin with the premise is that we're only focusing on the neshama, on the soul. And we're preserving the soul. Why are we preserving the soul? What's the, what's the value? What's the idea of preserving the soul? So, the body is thrown into the ground. Right? All you have left is bones after a couple of months, or maybe a couple of years. Right? The soul remains, the soul remains intact. Why, why, why would that be so? So, the answer to that is that the only reason why the soul retains its existence is because the soul is an element, the soul is an element, an aspect of this person. And this person is going to be resuscitated. The person's body is going to be resuscitated. The soul will once again inhabit the body. And this is a, a very fundamental principle, so much so it's one of the 13 principles of the Rambam, of Maimonides. And, and that is the idea of the resurrection, of Tchiyat Amitim. We pray, we pray uh, it's in our daily prayer, three times a day. It's part of the very fabric of what we believe. We're preserving the soul. Why? So it could be reunited with the body. It could be reinserted into the body and the body will live again. Any discussion, let me just finish this point, any discussion of retribution, of punishment, of reward, of evaluating the human, of, of who that person is, can only be done, can only be done once the soul is reinserted into the body. Any... Uh, any evaluation of the human has to be done when the human's there. If all you have is one part of the human, you can't judge the person, right? All you have is the body, you can't judge the body. All you have is the neshama or the, the soul, you can't judge the soul. You can only judge them one way or the other, for good or for bad, for reward or for punishment, once, they, once all aspects of the human are there in front of us, i.e. after resurrection, Dave. Well, here's a question I have. I was taught, I don't know who, that we recycle souls. Yeah, that's that, that. That there's only a, there's not an infinite amount, there's a finite amount of souls. So if a soul has encompassed four different bodies, let's say, which one does it go that's to? That's a very good question. I'll get to the end. Yeah. I'll, I, 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 okay. there's, there's four different answers to that question. We'll get to it. Okay. Okay, well, we didn't talk about resurrection yet. Uh, no, there's resurrection, and there's also uh, the, the idea of yeah, it's called a guild reincarnation, right? You're asking about reincarnation. Right. If one soul inhabited five bodies, right. 
which one comes at the end, all the way at the end of the line, right. by Tchia by Resurrection. Good question. Look, at that. I, have, I have it written down here. Okay, Four answers. Okay. Don't let me leave before okay. we finish it. You had the same question? I did. I was okay. And there's, there's questions with spouses. This is a good question. What age? We'll get to this. Um, but the, the, the last point that I say, I want to stress it, is that the final judgment where someone is judged and evaluated, right, what they accomplished in their life can only be done to a human. What is a human? A soul and a body together. can only be done once resurrection has, uh, has happened. Now, this point I'm saying is actually uh, um, one of the conversations that Antoninus had with Rebbe. Who was Antoninus? Antoninus most likely was Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, who was the Roman Empire from 161 to 180. And he, according to some opinions, he actually converted to Judaism. He was really close to Rebbe. Who was Rebbe? Rebbe Huda Hanasi, known in English as Rabbi Judah the Prince, the codifier of the Mishnah. And they were uh, friendly, and there was a special time in, in Roman history where there was, you know, all the stars aligned that the leader of the Jews was friendly with the leader of the Romans. They had a relationship, and they had sort of a window to write down the Mishnah, to, 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 to write down the Oral Torah uh, before further persecutions would kick in and uh, the Torah would be, would be lost. I don't want to give a history lesson, but what, what, I, what I do want to point you to is that there is several uh, dialogues between Antoninus and Rebbe brought down in the Talmud. And uh, one of them, for example, is when does someone get a neshama? Another one is when does someone get uh, Yetzirah? A third one is why does the sun rise in the east and set in the west? Very interesting discussions. But for our, for our purposes, you have a question that Antoninus uh, the Roman emperor asks Rebbe, what does he say? He says, the neshama, the soul, and the guf, the body, could get off of judgment. Why? Because the neshama says, hey, look at me, ever since I've been separate from the body, I'm floating in the air, I can't, I can't do any mitzvahs or averot, I can't do any sins or, or, uh, or, you know, or mitzvahs, I can't. And the body would say, hey, without the neshama, I'm useless. I'm like I'm like a rock on the ground. I can do nothing, right? So each one, the neshama and the guf, could say to, to get off the hook. Each one would say, "Hey, the other guy did it. I couldn't do it without the other guy." So how could someone ever be judged? So says Rabbi, I'll give you a mush. I'll give you an, an example, a parable. Right? A king had a beautiful orchard, and he appointed two guards to watch it. One of them was lame, couldn't walk, and one of them was blind, couldn't see. And then one day the lame guy says, hey, I see beautiful fruits. So what did he do? He climbed on top of the blind guy, and he directed the blind guy, and they went and they ate the fruits. And the king says, hey, who ate my fruits? Who, who destroyed my beautiful, my beautiful orchard? So the blind guy says, it wasn't me, I can't see. And the uh, lame person says, it wasn't me, I can't walk, how could I have gotten there? So what did the king do? He took, he took the lame person, put him on top of the blind person, and judged them as one. That's the end of the story. And obviously, the example is, is that the body and the soul work very much like the blind uh, person, the blind watchman, and the lame watchman. The body without the soul can't do anything, the soul without the body cannot do anything. They need each other. Right? And comes along Antoninus and says, hey, individually they cannot be judged. Says Rabbi, yes, indeed, individually they cannot be judged. But what, what the Almighty is going to do is put them together and judge them as a single unit. And this is the source, obviously, uh, for, the, for this idea, maybe other sources, uh, that the body and the soul, for uh, purposes of judgment, purposes, purposes of judgment, have to be done. Has to be done together. Uh, okay. Now, the last point uh, on this topic is like this: If you have a child and you love that child, then what the child does has repercussions. <coughs> the child does good, right? You have to react. 
in a positive way. If a child is bad, you have to react in the negative way. If you don't love a child, if it's the neighbor's kid, you don't care what he does. Indifference. Indifferent. To be indifferent. Right? But if you love a child, if you care for, for, for a child, right, you have to react. Otherwise, it's meaningless. And similarly, for us to have meaning in our lives, it has to be that what we do matters. One way or the other. There cannot be indifference. If there is to be meaning in life, if there is to be meaning in life, it has to be that when I do good, it matters. When I do bad, it matters. Right? Hitler was evil. It matters. Right? Mother Teresa, there's examples. She was good. It matters. Otherwise, there's meaninglessness. It has to be that we are rewarded for our good and we're punished for our bad. Because otherwise, there is meaninglessness in life. And that's why I said at the beginning, the discussion of, of what happens after I die really determines what has meaning in life. Because after I die and I'm to be judged, how am I going to be judged? As a soul and body together, right? And the ultimate judgment will only, the ultimate judgment will only happen post-resurrection. But this has heavy implications in our lives. Because of that judgment that's going to be in the end of days, that's going to be once, once our souls and our bodies have been reunited. Then there's going to be this judgment. That gives our life now value. That gives our life meaning. Because if that wouldn't be, wouldn't be true, our life would be meaningless. Where are these bodies coming from? Where are the bodies coming from? Yeah, because the bodies decompose dead in the ground. Where is it going to come from? Where's that? Hmm. Oh, you mean when they're reunited? Yes. Where's Where's the body going? Well, it's going to the uh, the way the way it's described. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, what what the Talmud says is that the actual bones, the actual. Oh, this probably could be pertinent to your previous question. Okay. Um, but the actual bones will um, will once again develop. You know, everything else that's necessary for 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 a body. How it's going to happen, I don't know. Um, okay. What's the difference between nishima and nefesh? It seems to be using nishima. So, so um, yes. And actually, if you look at Maimonides, he seems to switch it around. Uh, once again, back to Kabbalah, which I talked about that I don't really know anything about. But what I do know is that there's really five different aspects of the nishama, of the nishama, right? The nishama, the soul. Uh, and one of them is called nefesh. One is called ruach. I'm sure you've heard these terms. Chaya, uh, Yechida. There's different elements of the soul. Um, I think one of them is called Neshama. Yeruach, Nefesh, Neshama, Chaya, um, Yechida. Different levels of a soul. What that means, I don't know. But what I do know is that what the Talmud tells us is revealed Torah. It's not Kabbalah. And the Talmud uses the term Neshama, that's why I use the term Neshama. But whatever it is, it's the spiritual element that gives us life. It's the spiritual entity that we got from God. Right, so it's it's used neshama. Uh, it's used in general as neshama. Nefesh is much more of a lower level. Nefesh means um, ne- it's possible that, that that even an animal can have a nefesh. It means it's, it's the spark of life, right? It's the spirit of life, not the higher level of of insight and consciousness that we have, the ability to make decisions. That's elements of a higher soul, not just the soul that's given to any any life form. Um, What's interesting is that Maimonides seems to switch them around. So that's a discussion for a different time. Okay, so we see that there's a straight line here. I want to say just, just all the points here. I want, to, I want to string them out on a map here. We have what is a human body and the soul. What happens when they die? The separation of body and soul. Why do we retain the soul? Only because it's going to be reunited with the body, right? Why is it going to be reunited with the body? For judgment, one way or the other. One way or the other. And that element, that point, is what gives our life today meaning. Uh, meaning. Because otherwise there would be no meaning. Otherwise it's just an asset. Otherwise it's just, we're a bunch of random atoms making, you know, the, you know just acting randomly, right? Each man for his own, right? No, no, with no concept of morality or choices having implications. Okay, so... What happens when you actually die? So we said death is a different experience for each person. Um, 
But when someone dies, one of three things could happen to them. One of three things. Now, I want to just preface with a little bit of a disclaimer that uh, this the what what I'm telling you, what I told you previously has been it's accepted. It's 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 you know universally accepted in Jewish philosophy. What I'm telling you now is not universally accepted, but it's the mainstream opinion. It's the mainstream. It's the mainstream position on the matter. Um, and that is when you when you die, one of three three things can happen to you. So we're all familiar with the term of Gehenna. Everyone familiar with the term Gehenna? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Heard that? Everyone's heard that? Mm-hmm. What about Ganadin? Everyone's heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Awesome. Huh? I don't know. Okay, so Gehenna is, is 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 a term for hell that we have for hell, and the and and Gan is for paradise. Um, and these are two of the three options that could happen when someone dies. Both of them are actually quite quite good <coughs> options. We typically think we want to avoid hell at any cost, right? But the second we say the word Gehenna or hell, it means that our mission in life was accomplished. Our mission was accomplished. The idea of eternal damnation, of being punished forever, that's not a Jewish idea. Even if someone ends up in Gehenom, in hell, in purgatory, there is a maximum amount of time that that person can be there. And that is a total of 12 months, a total of a year. That's the maximum. That's why when we say Kaddish, right, when someone's the parent uh, uh, dies, they say Kaddish. How long do they say Kaddish for? A year. A year. Well, actually, they said only 11 months. Why do they do only 11 months? Because we assume that the person is not totally wicked and therefore oh, okay. gets out after 11 months. Uh, but the idea of this ever never-ending loop of, 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 of pain and torture uh, is, is not what Gehenom uh, in Jewish philosophy means. Now, like I said, if you end up in either one of these two places, it's really good. If someone if someone ends up in Ganet, if someone ends up in Paradise, a Garden of Eden, right? Why they end up there? Because a they fulfilled their objective in life. B they have absolutely nothing wrong with their soul. Their soul has not been tarnished at all by their body. Perfect, right? So what happens to it? It gets gets placed in Ganadin. What's Ganadin? What's Paradise? No, who said that? What's paradise? Yes. A place. Uh, is that the ultimate? No, it's like a, it's like a holding place until you get to the world. It's yeah. a very, very pleasant waiting room. You cannot receive reward or ultimate reward. Why? You can only get that once the body has been reunited. has been reunited with the soul. You cannot have that. It's a very nice place to be, very pleasant, but all it is is a glorified waiting room. Gehenom, someone ends up in Gehenom or in, in hell and purgatory, what, what does that mean? It means they accomplished what they need to do in life, but their soul has some, some blemishes, has some imperfections. It has some residue, it has some residue of the body. And what, ha- what has to happen? That has to be power washed. That has to be cleaned off. That has to be removed. Then you go to power. And then, once it's done, so it could be a month, it could be a day, it could be an hour, it could be 11 months or 12 months. Once that's done, right? Seems like it's not a, it's not a, it's not a uh, pleasant process. But once that's done, you get moved over to the glorified waiting room. And you're the, so those two things are very good. Does anybody go right to power? Maybe Moses did. Right? Well, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, the people that uh, that didn't sin, great people. Yeah, everybody sins, though, right? Yeah, but people do tshuva, right? People repent, right? You know, there's repent, repentment, and there's atonement, there's forgiveness, and you're even if you sinned, you could have that washed away. You have the blemish moved away from your from your soul. It's possible. That's what we believe. That's what tshuva. That's the brilliant idea behind. Repentance is this idea that even though there is an actual blemish in someone's soul, it could be cleaned off. It could be removed. It could, you know, it could be. It could be you know, it's not even white out. 
It's not like it's not like there's the blemish. Oh, you cover up the blemish, you don't see it. It's totally removed, totally forgotten about. So those are two of the options. The third option is where a person did not fulfill his objective in life, and therefore they have to go back. And this is the worst option. This is the worst option, and that is where they have to uh, they have to um, uh, invade or be harbored by a new body, and has to live life all over again. And from what from what and it seems that this is actually the worst of all three. And we're actually quite comfortable on planet Earth. We're really happy to be here. Uh, and for us, it's like, hey, I'd rather be here than there. You know, HBO Go, right? <laughs> it's, you know, DVR. It's a pretty good life we have here. But for our soul, uh, it's actually quite quite painful and quite uh, undesirable. Uh, and especially because you actually, you, don't, you know, you'll have to go through everything again Eventually, to reach where you need where, where you where you need to be. So, uh, so that's that. Now, I wanna, I wanna, you know, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish up now. I'm gonna give a summary, and then I'm gonna say a few anecdotal, a few, you know, ancillary points, which are somewhat pertinent. Obviously, uh, we have a little bit more time left. Okay, so, so those are three. After you die, three things can happen to you. Two good things, right? You accomplished your mission, right? So either you accomplish it with no, with no, you know, with absolutely uh, no hitches, with absolutely no problems. You go straight to the paradise, straight to Gan Eden. If you have a little bit of a, uh, you know, of a, of a haircut that needs to be cleaned, you go, you go to, you go have that power washed, purgatory, and you also, uh, uh, after a certain amount of time, you go to the glorified waiting room. What happens if you have not accomplished your purpose? You need to be put back into a new body and uh, you have to live life again until you accomplish it. And there will be a loop until you until you finish doing it. Now, this idea so of... The human loop, right? The human loop. Uh, from, uh, from what I understand, yes. Right. That, that's what my grandparents understood because uh, there's another Kabbalist in town who feels that you can go back, come back as an as animal. As an animal? I, 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 my, my, my family didn't. I am unaware. I'm unaware of, of, of that of that position. Now um, I want to point out that while we do believe in reincarnation, right, uh, soul migration, whatever it's called, transmigration, uh, we do not believe it in the same context that let's say the Hindus believe in it. Yeah, right. Become an ant or something. Right. We don't believe in that. It's it's all for this purpose of having trying once again to live life. Uh, in a way that your soul accomplishes, or you accomplish what you need to accomplish. Once you so do it... Would you come back as male or female? Uh, it's a question I don't know the answer to. Um, I would assume, I would assume that you'll, that uh, the gender will remain, that my guess would be it will remain steady. Um, but I don't know, I don't know that for sure. Um, because the soul is a, a female soul. It's not just a female body, it's also a female soul. Um, and now, as to Dave's question, Dave said, hey, if I was a person and I was, and I didn't accomplish what I need to accomplish in life, so I went and I inhabited another person's body and maybe four or five times, what's going to be, what's going to be uh, at the end, uh, you know, at the end when I'm resurrected, with which body will I, will I, uh, will I, uh, will my soul inhabit? So, I, like I said, I have four different answers to this. Uh, I believe um, that we'll probably find out what really happened, um, but I don't know. This is this is. I think all of them have validity. I think all of them have validity. So the first answer would be that it's the first body. Why is the first body? Because that's the original body. Right? The other bodies were just bodies that you know, as a result of your inability to do. It right the first time you had to you had to occupy their bodies, but that's not really your body. Your body is the first one, position number one. Position number two, it's the last body. Why? Because that's the one that you actually did accomplish what you needed to accomplish. That's your that's your body that actually was the first body, second body, third body, fifth body. Eventually, you had the body that was your partner in accomplishing what you needed to accomplish. That's the one you got. Third position, it's a composite. It's a composite, right? It's it's somewhat. 
um, elements of different bodies. I heard that position as well. But the last answer, and I think it might be the right answer, is that we view the body as clothing for the soul. Just like Dave, you're not going to ask me what you're going to be wearing. Hey, what are you going to be wearing? Are you wearing uh, the tuxedo you wore for your brother's wedding? Or are you wearing what you're wearing now? What are you wearing? It's not so... Th- this answer says, that, hey, it's, it's your, your, your body, you know, your, your body's clothing. Does it really matter which body it is? It's a body. A body is a body is a body. Right? Indeed, a human is a body and a soul, but it's a body. All bodies, you know, bodies are just bodies. It's a great name for a band. Bodies are bodies. I, I heard another answer, this answer from uh, Rabbi Goldstein, uh, last week when they had uh, a little mini workshop thing. So he said that another possibility is that you come back as both the original body and the reincarnation. Your body. A composite? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's the best. That's oh, a oh, but composite doesn't mean uh, one body that's a, a, a composite. No, no, no. Elements of, oh, oh, elements of, uh, of both. Okay, so so that's what happens after you die. Um, I think we, we covered it all. We'll give a quick, quick summary, and then maybe we'll talk about other ancillary elements of this discussion, or if anyone has any questions. So I said, why is it important? Um said everyone dies, people are steered, you want to know what the Torah tells us, it's important for us to know, but also because the perspective on the on, on the issue gives us an, you know, elements of clarity in what's actually important in life. What happens after death determines what has value, what has meaning during life. Uh, what is the body before, what is a human before they die, so they're a body and a soul, right? Death is separation of soul and body. To the degree with which the soul got farshmutzed with the body, that will be the degree of difficulty it is to separate the two. The ultimate punishment, the ultimate justice, the ultimate reward can only be done to a soul and body together, i.e. after resurrection. The idea of reward and punishment, that means that what we live for in life has meaning, Indifference means there's meaningless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's if there's no reaction one way or the other. What I do doesn't matter. And um, Rabbi, did you, and, did, you, did you hear how we're resurrected? No, and no. nobody knows the, that. Well, they talked about the the loose spine. What? It's part of the spine. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. So it doesn't matter. Sort of what shape. No, but that's why I mentioned I mentioned that uh, it's very important uh, to not get cremated because we don't want to destroy that uh, or the bones, like I like I mentioned previously. But even if you're cremated, Rabbi Goldstein was saying that God okay. could finally that little molecule of the loose bone and recreate you. Maybe like if somebody dies in a fire or during the Holocaust, they still could be recreated. Maybe. Maybe I, I, I when I when I spoke about it, I said that it it's it seems like um, if someone gets cremated, they won't. They'll be it'll be harder for them to. I, I don't know for sure. But what happens to them? Like you said, in a fire. That's a good question. Um, yeah, and I don't think anyone really does um, unless it's, unless it says it somewhere specifically. And after you die, um, you are um, put into one of three categories. Two good categories, one bad category. The two good ones are either Gehenim and Organaden. Uh, this means that you did accomplish your mission in life. You might need to have a little, uh, you know, a little bit cleaned around the edges, you know, and for a certain for an amount of time. It could be a day, it could be a week, or a month, or a year, a maximum of a year. Um, and lastly, is the worst one is to be reincarnated. Uh, so I just want to share with y'all a few thoughts that I had. I don't know if it's. I just thought about this today, and I'm, it, it it may be right and it may be wrong. Um, we know that uh, the Gemara says that 
is 613 mitzvot, right? How many of them are positive? How many of them are negative? 248 positive and 365 negative. So what does the Talmud say? The Talmud says, uh, what Tharsif was saying by Abraham, what was he called? Avram. And God switched his name to Avraham, Abraham. It was Abraham and it became Abraham. And what's the significance of this name change? The Talmud says is that Avraham, the final name, is Gematria, is the numerical value, 248. Completion. Finish all the positive mitzvot. As opposed to previously, it was only 243. So you added the hay, which added five. Uh, which seems to indicate, uh, which seems to indicate, oh, okay, I found it. Backtrack a little bit here. Two forty-eight is the amount of limb is the amount of limbs we have in our body. Limbs, right? Three sixty-five is the amount of days there are in a year. Three sixty-five is the amount of days there are in a year. We have a, a book called the Sefer Chasidim, which delineates which. Mitzvah, which positive mitzvah corresponds to which limb? Every one of our physical limbs has a spiritual element that gives it life. Gives it life. By limb, you're talking a physical limb. Physical limb are the bones. No limbs. It's what the limbs are. How? What are? The, what are considered the limbs? Check it out in the actual source. But we have physical limbs that are given life and given spiritual nourishment via the mitzvah that corresponds to the limb. And this this sefer this book tells you which mitzvah corresponds to which to which to which limb. Very interesting. What about the negative? Days of the year. So my thought was today, maybe, what's the maximum amount of time someone can spend in in, in Gehenim? Eleven years. Well, the maximum is three sixty five. Maybe. Every day, the blemish of whatever sin the person uh, 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 fell captive to, that is expunged, that is removed, that is cleaned off. So what's the maximum amount of time someone could spend there? 365. That was my thought today. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I, I, it, was, it was my thought. I have to... I have to uh, I have to uh, I- investigate that. So probably you would be reunited with your soul in a good body, not a frail or sick. Yeah, or yes, or yes. What if someone had a disability? These, these, these are also the questions that are not answered. What if someone had a disability? Yeah. You know, would, would, would they be reunited with the same body? Don't know. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. What about spouses? Another good question. Isn't that what they say also, Rabbi, that you might instant crib death and stuff like that? Maybe you only had to come back for three days to, for your soul. And that's why that's yeah. one of the one of the things that might be. So my uh like the reincarnation I have a, process. Yeah. yeah, I have a story um it's pertinent to this. And that uh, we know my grandfather was a really special man. I'm sure you, everyone here knows that. Uh, he was a big he was a bit sadiq. He was a bit, very righteous person. He wrote many books. He taught lots of Torah, and but he was, he grew up in a non-observant family. So he had his his parents. Maybe they were Shemir Shabbat. Maybe not. But they were certainly not. They, well, it was it was the Reform movement, the German Reform, right? It was when there was a total sellout of of, of, of Jewish values in the you know in the end of the nineteenth and the beginning of twentieth century. That's where he grew up. He grew up in Berlin. What happened, right? He went to yeshiva, and he became a great person. And then, in 2005, he died. Right? And he was renowned across Israel, across the United States, as being a tremendous teacher, and a tremendous scholar, and a tremendous rabbi, and, you know, his books are, are, are viewed as, as, you know, transformative books, uh, especially in the Musar world. So, uh, I have a first cousin that had a uh, Small boy, after you know, after my grandfather died. So what did happen? Well, what did he name the child? Shlomo. Shlomo, right? And there's lots and lots of Shlomos, thank God, in our family. And uh, my cousin is a, he's a very special young man. He's a 
tremendous scholar, tremendous, you know, tremendous uh, personality, and three months his child died of SIDS. Tremendous tragedy. What do you say? I don't know what you say, but um, my uncle, so this is in Israel, my uncle in, in, uh, in New York, he wrote him a letter to try to console him, and in his letter he wrote that Saba, my grandfather, he was, a, he was a very special man, right? But there was something missing. What was missing? The fact that he grew up, his his birth and his right was not was not done in a Torah fashion. So he had to come back as a small child, right? And have just that one thing that he was missing. And he was trying to yeah, and, and, and he consoled them with that, saying that it, it's not it's not meaningless that your son, you know. Tragically died. That 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 neshama was Saba's neshama. Very very. Uh, Insightful. Yeah. Over at that more than a year ago, I went to a Kabbalah class over there, and uh, there was a discussion that uh, people maybe because they're Sephardic, I don't know, but that people could cut because my family, you know, from Vilna. Yeah. Great grandmother's cousin was the Vilna Gaon. So, so my mother told me that you know, that they believed in reincarnation, but you had to come back as a person, okay. not as an animal. Okay. So uh, so maybe that's an Ashkenazic uh, Kabbalistic idea of reincarnation. But over there, they were saying that yeah, that you cut in that class that you if you commit sins or whatever, you can come back as a pig. And this other guy who was friends with Rabbi Yehovah then suggested yeah. That he could eat me, he's telling me, you know, if, uh, like, uh, you know, judge not that you not be judged because that guy sort of looks like a pig, in my opinion. Okay, and, and, and but, but that he could, yeah, and, and then uh, by eat by a kosher person eating, or a Jew eating the pig, then Philip's all the pig. So, so I, I, told, I, I, I told him he's not the rabbi, I don't want to hear from him. And I told the rabbi, Yakovian, who's leading that class, that. That uh, we don't believe that. That, that you know, my family. Did believe Rabbi, you, come, you come back as a person? Rabbi, no, no Rabbi Yehovian believed was telling me that no, you can't come back as animals. So I don't. I, I don't. I don't it's know. Our, it's not our I don't know. And I stopped going there for a while. I don't that. know. Um, yeah. I'm not going to argue with Rabbi Yehovian. Right. He's a tremendous scholar and tremendous right. teacher and rabbi. Tell, tell me, you talk about missions. Yes. What, what are these missions? Oh, so there's nothing I wanted to say. Oh. So this is here. I have a disagreement with my dear brother, Uh-oh. and uh, this is one of our famous disagreements. And I'm sure y'all have heard it. We have a Gemara, a Talmud, right? I'm going to present my opinion. I'll present his opinion. Um, and the Talmud says that a child is about to be born, and they make him swear. And what do they tell him? Vehaveyodeya. I'll translate it. You should know. Shahakadosh Baruch Hu, that the Almighty is Tahor, is pure. Umisharasav and his servants, i.e., the, the, the Malachim, the, the angels, they're also pure. Tahorim. Unishama Shanasan Bacha, Tahori. And your Nishama is also pure. Right? If you preserve it in its purity, good. Him laugh, but otherwise, I'm going to take it away from you. That's what they make the child swear. This is in the Talmud, Nida 30b, right? And I point to this tomorrow and I say, our mission is to make sure that we do not screw up, we don't mess up, we don't taint our neshama. It's more of a defensive mission. Our neshama is pure. Make sure it stays pure. Anushama is complete. Make sure you don't mess it up. That's my position. My brother says, no, no, no. The Nishama is born incomplete. There's something missing, right? And something needs to be fixed. Something needs to be... Uh, yes. Improved. It, it's imperfect and it needs to be perfected. According to his position, what would the imperfection mean it would mean a characteristic imperfection it means it would be uh, um, it would be uh, the idea of 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 keeping the Torah 
of keeping the mitzvot, of not doing sins, right? Obviously not to, to preserve the purity of the soul, but also to make sure to fix the character flaws. That's what Musar is about. Then. That's what Musar is about, fixing character flaws. So then he believes that you can't have a, no, a so perfect soul unless you have some type of Musar. Well, at Musar was the tool that you would use to, to perfect okay. your midot. But in truth, in truth, our argument is really academic. Why is it really academic and, and not really practical? Everyone agrees you have to work on your midot, on your characteristics. Everyone agrees you have to do mitzvot, right? The question, the only disagreement would be, why? Do I have to do it to achieve a positive effect? Or do I have to do it to avoid a negative effect? But either way, uh, it's only a, it's only a theoretical disagreement. It's only a theoretical disagreement. Well, because it's for why the challenge, be in the way you well, God creates pure souls, but it's here for the challenge to withstand the temptations of life. You're thrust into this world. Your partner, who's your partner in crime, right? The body. And the body has his agenda, and the soul has his agenda. The soul is totally pure, but the soul can be tarnished and tainted. And your job is to make sure that the soul is influencing the body and not vice versa. And you take a look at the introduction to the book called the Chinuch. And the Chinuch is one of the Rishonim. He lived in the 13th uh, century, and he wrote a book called the Chinuch. Chinuch means uh, lessons. Uh, Chinuch means uh, education. The book's called The Education, and the the way the book is set up is it's 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 a um, counts all six hundred thirteen mitzvot, and it gives you the background and you know the roots and some of the general generalities of every mitzvah. So, in the introduction to the book called the Chinuch, right, he writes why we have Torah. Why do we have Torah? And he says. The reason why we have Torah is because we're composed of a body and a soul. We're composed of a soul, of a neshama that's pure. So much so that it's compared to God and the angels in in the aforementioned piece of Talmud. While on the other hand, we have a lowly body. And somehow, these two things are mixed together, fused together. And our job is to uh, make sure that the dominating factor is the intellect, it's the soul, is is what's rational. It's it, you know is, is is what's correct. It's not what's you know, it's not what's fleeting and 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 and, and base and uh, you know body bodily uh, bodily activities. And he says, the Torah is here to help us sharpen our intellect, sharpen our soul, right? Make sure our our soul is strong and ready, and ready to dominate over our body. Right? The Torah is here as a mechanism that we could use to make sure we're successful in this grand battle that is our lifetime, the battle of the body and the soul. Rabbi, the good inclination and the bad inclination, is that in the soul or is that the, the body versus the soul? Good question. Uh, with regards to the good and bad inclination, right? the Yetzir Tov and Yetzirah. So the Yetzir Tov and Yetzirah are not essential to human. You are a body and a soul. That's what you are. Okay? You have influences. These are not essential to who you are. These are influences. That's why they're called Yetzer. Yetzer means it's an influence. Right? It's an inclination. Something to incline you. These are forces, elements you have to contend with in life. Um, and the influence could be something which is totally external to you. You see something, you want something, right? You're directed in different ways as to the influences and the forces that you encounter in life. But that's not who you are. Who you are is body and soul. Your job is to maintain the purity of the soul while influencing the body, elevating the body. So right? the uh, Sahara and the answer to don't have to do with free will? Like, uh, no, no, no. The angel on one side of your shoulder and the devil on the other? You know, that you see stereotypically on little yes, American um, movies and TV shows? The, the Almighty placed us in this world to make choices. What kind of choices? Moral choices, right? Therefore, we say that our entire existence is only in order to make these choices. That's what we're here for. In order to present as many free will choices as possible, 
we have different influences that place us places in different scenarios. We'll have to make moral choices. Uh, in well, external and internal, right? The internal turmoil of who are we? Are uh, we have the body and the soul? We have this, 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 this. They're enmeshed. They're they're fused. Uh, you know, in, the, in this unbelievable way. And we also have the 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 external forces that are that are pushing us one way one way and the other. And we have the Torah, which is our key to uh, to 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 reigning our intellect, our neshama supreme. I'll, and I'll tell you what last thing I'll, with this we'll, we will end is uh, also just pertinent to this discussion. The midrash says that the tzitzis, right, the fringes, uh, they they are very much um, have to do with mitzvahs, right? Like the gematria of tzitzis is six hundred plus. There's eight streams plus. There's five knots, so six hundred plus eight plus three. Six thirteen. Sitzes are representative of mitzvahs, right? Another thing, uh, the the sages tell us that you have sitzes in four corners. Why four corners? You should always see it. Anywhere you turn, you see it, right? Uri itemoto. This is the verse in Deuteronomy. You'll see the sitzes, and you'll remember God, right? And you'll remember the mitzvahs of God. Uri itemoto. You'll see uschartem is called mitzvah Hashem. You see sitzes. You remember the mitzvahs of Hashem. The measure says is that you think the streams of tzitzis are comparable to someone who was on a ship and went overboard. Right? You have someone who's on a ship and they went overboard. What happens? The captain of the ship throws them a lifeline, a stream. Right? And the, the, the lesson here is, is that we're in life, we're in the sea, the raging sea. We have all these challenges, right, right and left, and you know, all these... Uh, Moral choices that we have to make. We don't want to drown. We don't want to fail. So what, how are we possibly going to be successful? We have the street. So God throws us a string. What are these streams? The tzitzis, or represented by the tzitzis, which are the mitzvahs. And the mitzvahs are going to help you avoid avoid sinking in the in, in the treacherous waters that that that, that is um, that is life. So that's that's very similar to what the chinuch said in the, in the, in the, that the Torah and the mitzvahs are there to help us in our life's challenge. Thank you all. Uh, God bless y'all. If we could please...